Hey, this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. here on Anderton's TV and today it is my absolute pleasure to uh, to have Mark from Periphery or Mark of many guises but predominantly Periphery at the yes. moment. It's probably where you're best known from isn't it? Yes indeed it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much it was you know we were, we were very fortunate uh, Misha came over must have been about this time last year. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where the last year's gone so. Who knows. Uh, so what brings you to what brings you to these fair shores? Well, I mean, so when Misha stopped by here last time, he had such great things to say about the store <laughs> and everything. And I was saying to somebody earlier today that Anderton's is one of those establishments, one of those stores that you know of its reputation before you even set foot inside. And this is my first time here. Yeah. And I can't think of another store where I was completely aware of its existence and its reputation way before I ever step, step, step foot in it. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. You guys have achieved something pretty special. It's very kind of you to say so. But look, so let's, um, I love when I get the opportunity to meet guys that have um, managed to, you know, make a career from playing the guitar and, and, and particularly even more exciting when those guys are maybe at the sort of forefront of a certain genre of music to, to sort of just find out a little bit more about them. And, you, you know, so what, what, what's your, what's your background? You know, you, you, you know, sort of, when did you start playing guitar and who, you know, hmm. what, what was it that well, sparked that interest? I started in 1995. Mm -hmm. So, what is that, 21 years ago? Wow, that's almost as old as a person, like a 21 year old. It would be, yes, <laughs> absolutely. A real person. Um, no, but I started in 1995 and I didn't take it very seriously. But the first thing I saw and that sort of pushed me in the direction to start taking guitar seriously was an MTV documentary that I saw on the Foo Fighters. Okay. So I was a Nirvana fan and I saw yeah. Dave Grohl fronting a band. And uh, something about his charisma and his, his, uh, his, something about the way he performed pulled me in, made me want to do that. His conviction yeah. made me want to start playing guitar. So I think I learned damn near every song off that first record, that first Foo Fighters record. And then after that, I sort of went down the metal path. I got into Metallica. Yeah. And the real heavy stage of my learning uh, was the Master of Puppets Ride of Lightning phase, where I got in my bedroom yeah. and I spent hours and hours, days and days and weeks just learning every riff that I could, you know, and I still have a lot of that stuff locked down muscle memory. So are you, are you, were you a Hammett fan or Hetfield? Oh, Hetfield. I mean, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's tough because if, if you're a fan of the songs, you know that you know, Lars and, and Hetfield were the two yeah. sort of engines behind all the songs. Uh, so I was definitely, I was definitely a Hetfield. And I'm, I'm actually more a fan of uh, his playing overall, yeah. you know, and, and he's kind of just the face of Metallica. I think, I think that's, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that uh, 
Apart from Kirk's mum, she thinks he's amazing. <laughs> no, bless her, bless her. <laughs> um, so, but so, I mean, that's a that was a that was a mental time for you know that kind of nineties, you know, I guess metal kind of way, that new metal kind of yeah, wave yeah, was yeah. was a, you know really powerful time. <laughs> first begin to sort of tweak that maybe the stuff that you might get more into was maybe a little bit more you know what's the nerdy word? nerdy no, well it's, just, uh, it's extreme a bit, it's a bit more out there isn't it it's, it it's, is yeah uh, certainly technically much more uh challenging it's a couple steps further than the heaviness and technicality of, a, of metallica yeah. or pantera um Honestly, it was a, it was very gradual. Yeah, it was very gradual because started with Metallica as far as metal, and then went to Pantera, and things like that. And then I would say the big epiphany. Yeah. Uh, as far as what I'm playing now came when I discovered, actually two bands. It was Meshuga. Yeah. And Strapping Young Lad. Uh, funny I enough. I don't know that second one. Really? Yeah, oh man. Uh, I hope some of you guys know who are watching. So I, need, I need to get into this. Do oh I? my god! I mean, are you you're a metal metal guy, right? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I. Let me change your mind by the end. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> that my my introduction to uh, I, I mean, apart from obviously being you know the same as you, kind of you know being not massively into the sort of '90s Metallica, but being aware of them. Yeah. And, you know, but my kind of introduction into the the more sort of interesting stuff was was through Rabir when he started showing me stuff of the Carnival and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that kind of, and periphery to an, to an extent. But um, so, but yeah, I wouldn't have said that I'm I'm not yeah. I'm not kind of steeped in that genre. So who's strapping young strapping boy? lad is strapping the lad. strapping young lad is the metal project of Devin Townsend and Devin oh, okay. Townsend you know is very prolific. He does his own solo yep. stuff, has his own solo band. But he started a band in the '90s that was just this heavy machine. Of a yeah. of a metal band, you know, it was very, very chaotic, yeah. but very calculated and very intelligent, and it sort of went along with that whole Meshuggah aesthetic. Was yeah. it was it was calculated mayhem? You know, you could tell that <laughs> what you were listening to had some intelligence and premeditation behind it, yeah. something that was next level. Yeah, but the output was very inaccessible. You know, right. hearing it for the first time, I mean, you'd be lying if you told me that you liked Meshuggah for the first time, the first time you ever yeah. heard it. You know, I certainly didn't like it the first time I heard it. It's very disarming, yeah. disorienting. But again, that's the kind of listen that's very rewarding. The more times you listen to it, yeah. the more you like it. And then once it pays off, once it clicks, yeah. it's going to click pretty hard. That's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know whether I've, I mean, I, I still find um, on whether it's the, the carnival or the, or the periphery stuff, I tend to find myself, you know, what's, what I quite like about, there is, a, there is a slightly more superficial element to some of this stuff, you know, where, the, where there's just a really nice, catchy kind of yeah. melody sort of mm -hmm. hook in a relatively straightforward time signature mm -hmm. that I think anybody can find 
accessible and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's like a, a deeper level, isn't there, where something something will change, yeah, whether it's yeah. the whether it's the aggressiveness of the of the vocal or the or, yeah. the, or the riff or. My favorite kinds of music have both of those elements yeah. because what pulled me in to bands like that, and even you can say that about Dillinger Escape Plan. Dillinger mm-hmm. was a huge band uh, for that reason. They had that sort of controlled chaos uh, mm-hmm. to their music, but they also interjected with truly catchy, yeah. catchy hooks, stuff that you could latch onto from a very uh, casual perspective, yeah. and then you delve a little bit deeper, and you're like, whoa, there's something really, really seriously yeah. messed up going on, you know. I guess you could say the same about um, even sort of jazz stuff. You know, the sort of mm-hmm. the, you know the, the the jazz musicians that I think kind of make it big are probably the ones that so you know sort of seed that right. more accessible. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then there are jazz guys out there that are just like they, they don't go anywhere accessible at all. Yeah, Everything's yeah. up here all the time. Yeah, you just go, yeah, yeah. You've got to be a real enthusiast to want to get right. into that kind of thing. You have to be exposed for years. Yeah, a long jazz. time. Yeah. <laughs> So when what you know, I, I I like all bad researchers tried to find out stuff about you on Wikipedia, and there's there's not anything really pre uh, the periphery stuff on there. So what 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 was your what was pre periphery? So pre periphery was a project I had called Haunted Shores, mm-hmm. uh, which I still have. Uh, I record and write with Misha, uh, our other guitarist, and I had that before periphery. He and I were writing and recording for a couple of years together, and uh, we had this pretty insane chemistry mm-hmm. creatively. Uh, it was very uncanny when we started writing together. 
And when they needed uh, another guitar player in the band, uh, I said, you know, I'll, I'll try How to give you a shot. did you meet Misha? I forget which a dating big... app it was. <laughs> Tinder. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a grinder. Was that the one? <laughs> no, the other one? Uh, can we say grinder? On you can. Uh, well, whatever. In fact, it's kind what of apt as well because the grinder thing apt. is a is a. The last time that came up in a video was with Paul Reed Smith, who was here, <laughs> and he said to me that the guys who ask for big discounts in music stores, he called them grinders, and I, and I was <laughs> kind of like, grinder is, I was right? like, we don't call it, that's there's a different word over here. But anyway, so you met Misha on some yeah. somehow. Was I swiped it? left or was it right? Which one? Do you, which way do you swipe? Um, no, uh, I mean, you know what? It was. I think it was a Gojira show in Washington D.C. almost ten years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, he and Jake, the other guitar player, were handing out CDs. Right. Uh, and my brother happened to get one, and it was an old, like, periphery demo. I mean, it was a very, very bare bones, very stripped yeah. down, way back. And I don't think there were even vocals on it. And then I heard it, I put it, I put it on, I was like, holy shit, there's something pretty mm -hmm. special going on here. Uh, and then I just hit him up, and we became friends. And uh, about a year later, a year and change later, I hit him up, and I said, I want to get this project off the ground. I've got a bunch of stuff written. Will you record it with me? Will you co-write? If need be, and uh, he was totally down. And yeah. as soon as we sat down, we just had this. It, it was like this creative diarrhea, just shooting out of every orifice. And it was it was the yeah. quickest writing I had ever done in my life. You know, it was effortless. Yeah. Uh, and something I had never experienced before, really. But that so, struck me. When, I remember thinking back to when Misha was here. That interview, he seems to have that kind of just create as you say creative diary you know just yeah. stuff going on it was something very unique though about our our dynamic which for some reason i, I would put out a vibe and then he would put out a creative vibe and we would just sort of feed off that like yeah. if i was tapped out of ideas i would write hit that momentum yeah that he was putting out and then vice versa would be the same so and that's kind of how it is in periphery now yeah um, but back to the whole uh periphery transition when they needed another guitar yeah. player uh, I, I said, hey, I'll, I'll do it. I'll play some shows. Yeah. And then played the shows successfully. And then uh, never looked back from there. So, and how do you approach that when, you know, I mean, listening to some periphery stuff, you know, you've got three guitar players playing quite uh, different parts to each song, you know, uh, that you often sort of think, how on earth do you even so you know how do you keep that together in your head you know when you're when you're playing with them are you just listening to what you're doing and you're thinking you know as long as i'm playing to the click i know this is going to work or are you listening to what everything's doing and seeing how you fit it's it's both because right. for a while so I, we run on in-ear mixes we have yeah. everything dialed in pretty pretty specifically uh, but i used to have the click very loud in my music i still have it relatively loud just to lock in with mm -hmm. everything we're lucky enough to have a drummer that just doesn't mess up, you know. He's a robot, uh, big Jewish robot. Can I say that? I can't say that. <laughs> yes, you can. Uh, We're okay. <laughs> he's a big old robot, uh, uh, and he never messes up. Yeah. So I, I used to just sort of lock in with the click, pay attention to the click, sort of disregard what's going on because I know our drummer's not going to mess up. Yeah. But uh, over the past couple of years, I've been turning up the other guys in my mix to sort of get this live band kind of energy in my mix yeah. and uh and that's just simply to inject more life into my playing and, yeah. and sort of just to add more vibe and energy on stage so it's a little bit of both um i think 
periphery is big. Philosophy these days is to play as tight as possible on stage and obviously in the studio, but not sound like one of these bands that, you know, is basically the audio equivalent of Photoshop. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to sound like this, uh, this manufactured no. uh, carbon copy. But you, band. you get that though, because I think, you know, from watching some of the live YouTube stuff, it is a different, the album experience is a different. You don't, I don't think you yeah. go to a periphery show to just see the album done live, do I you? Hope there's, not. there's way more energy and yeah, entertainment. I, I hope not because I, I know a lot of bands, I want to say a lot, there are bands that come to mind whose names I'm not going to say. Uh, you sort of go to some of these band shows and you do expect it to be pretty much the exact same. Yeah. Uh, and that can be cool if that's what you're looking for, but I definitely look for something else when I go to a show. I want to hear a spin off of what I heard on the record, or I want to hear some, I mean, not even progress. I'm not even saying better. Yeah. I just want to hear Different. a take. Yeah, mm. a, a take on something that I've already grown to love. Yeah. So. choose which of you gets which guitar part do you just get the difficult bits <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny question that's a very relevant question to where we are uh, in periphery right now because um, do you in... draw straws <laughs> <laughs> funny enough we do when it comes to guest solos uh, we had a bunch of guest guitarists play on periphery too and we did actually uh, pretty much draw straws to play the Guthrie Govan solo <laughs> the John Petrucci solo and the Wes Houck solo uh, but uh, as far as dictating who gets which part, yeah. uh, so it works very simply these days. Jake uh, is panned right down the middle in a mm -hmm. live mix. I'm panned hard right, Misha's panned hard left. So if there's a very prominent lead part or an ambient part or some sort yeah. of delay bit that needs to be at the forefront of the mix, Jake will get it since he's panned uh, yeah. right in the center. Yeah. And that tends to leave me and Misha locking in with a lot of the double track sounding stuff rhythm yeah. wise. But we mix it up. We, we like to get creative and playful with uh, who gets which part. Oh, fair enough. So, well, the, the we're going to come on to talk to, to gear, uh, but just, you know, for right now, um, what can people expect, of, you know, of, of in terms of periphery, in terms of, you know, material or touring or? Yeah, I mean, we're always writing. We're one mm -hmm. of these bands that, uh, that never stops writing, for better or for worse. I don't even know if it's a good thing anymore. That's why we put out Periphery 3, like a year after Juggernaut came yeah. out. We were just, you know, it's just, part of our culture yeah um, but we're not currently in album mode we'll be touring a lot we'll be back here back in England and the rest of Europe early next year I can't say exactly when I know exactly when but I can't say it on okay. camera well I'll put a link in the description below to where people can go and there find you out go. about stuff like that there you go. so let's talk about gear um, and for no particular reason, we'll we'll probably just summarize your your sort of backline rig and spend most of the time talking about the guitar because yeah. um, we're using today an Axe FX two plugged into the effects return of a hundred watt valve Archon. 
into a 4x12 underneath, which the lovely courier did their best to uh, destroy on the way here, but but is working, which is cool. Mm -hmm. So how did this, you know, how does that, is, is this a typical live rig for you? No, actually not exactly. So my typical live rig is uh, this fractal going into a QSC power amp into a cab. Mm -hmm. uh, I've added the Archon because there's just something I, I like I like about the clinic environment that that uh, that fits well with it. Uh, it's just it's there's a beefier, fatter tone, and yeah. it works well if I'm playing by myself. Is uh, it when you're not using an ear? It's just nicer. To exactly. Have yeah. Real... Like if I'm sitting in front of the amp, I, I can sort of feel the air hitting me, and yeah. there's just something cool about. So during these clinics, which you'll see later, I play along to backing tracks, and mm -hmm. having a real amp uh, combined with the fractal uh, running into it just makes for a very beefy sound. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And is that uh, when you're, I, I remember Misha saying in the studio, he still had kind of like a whole gamut oh, of different yeah. amps. So is that, are you much the same yeah. when you're writing? You're just yeah. using different things to find different sounds? I or? have an Archon at home. I've always experimented with amps. The Fractal is the sort of great solution for us because yeah. it ends the amp search in terms of a live environment. And that was always such a huge thing yeah. for me because you can dork, dork out over amps for years at home and always have fun. Yeah. But the minute you start talking about using high gain amps in a live setting, so many variables can be different every night. Yeah. And uh, it's always sort of a, a tough beast to tame, you know, using a high gain amp yeah. in a live setting. So the Fractal was a lifesaver in that regard. Um, but I, I, I always do love to experiment with amps at home. So I guess we should move on to because this is this is kind of how I think uh you know, we've got to thank the guys from PRS. I even wore my PRS T-shirt this like morning because I just thought, you know, we should thank the guys from PRS for, for, for bringing yeah. me down today. Where's my T-shirt? I want. A I don't know. This is actually quite old now. This is this is their nineteen no two thousand and fifteen one. So anyway, really? um, about a year or so ago, maybe a bit more than that, we had our first one of the American Holcombs. Mm -hmm. So how long had you been working with PRS before that kind of? Quite a while. I mean, the, the American-made 2015 uh, model was in the works for a while. I, I want to say a year and a half. And conceptually, this had been in the works for almost as long. Mm -hmm. uh, because when we discussed the, uh, the U.S. model, you know, one of my concerns was, well, it's going to be an expensive guitar. Mm -hmm. Because an American-made PRS is never cheap, yeah. no matter what territory you're in. So I said, you know, our... our my fans or periphery fans going to be into this guitar is is a fan of this style of music or yeah. any of these design uh, uh, elements is that something that people will be into for the price point so then came along the other solution well if that does well yeah. we'll put we'll put this out afterwards so it was always contingent upon the US model what selling you, okay which model were you what was your like first introduction to custom PRS 24 thing? so custom you, you 24. just bought a, a regular custom oh, 24 man. and yeah. that's what you were using yeah I had a friend lend me his custom 22 like back when I was a teenager yeah 
and that guitar, there's still something very, very sweet and untouchable about that guitar, you know. And what were the what were the, the main changes that you made over the Custom 24 then on the on Well, the um, <coughs> there's some pretty important ones. Uh, you know, as much as I love the Custom 22 and 24, one thing I'd become used to over the years of playing and sort of dissecting elements of guitars uh, that I liked was the scale length mm -hmm. and uh, the fretboard radius, neck shape, and pickups, yeah. and the bridge. Actually, I thought I was going to only have two things to say about that, but that's actually <laughs> quite a lot. Um, so yeah, the scale length, I'd always just gotten used to a 25 and a half inch scale length. Yeah. Uh, it works for the tunings that I use, the tunings that I like to use, and the um, just the feel of the neck. I like the spacing. 24 frets on a 25 and a half inch scale yeah. just feels like home to me. I'm going to sound like a terrible PRS uh, nerd here, but so the custom 24, that's a 25 inch scale. Yep. Though, isn't it? So you've asked for the extra half, extra inch, half inch just to get right. Okay, cool. Which, which sounds super nitpicky. No, that makes a big difference. It if does. You're tuning, yeah, it really sure. does. It does. Um, so there was that. Uh, the fretboard radius was something that I'd also noticed on other guitars I played was that whenever there was a 20 inch radius, uh, uh, fretboard radius, I always just felt like I was doing vibrato better. Yeah. I always felt like my bends were a lot more even. So it's just a teeny bit flatter than a regular uh, Yeah, I mean, pre, yeah, actually, to me, to my hands, it, it's a lot flatter. You know, I think what the Custom 24 is, is it like 15, 16 inch radius? I believe something. it's 16. If that's the wrong yeah. answer, maybe you could just put the, the real But uh, No, okay, so it's actually, it's, a, it's quite a bit flatter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 like, it's like a wall. Yeah. It's as flat as a wall. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, I, I went for the DGT frets, which are bigger than the typical Custom 24 frets. Yeah. I just like the feel of large frets. Yeah. Uh, there's the satin neck, which I had never felt on a Custom 24 or 22. Yeah. Yeah. That was absolutely essential. Uh, the shrink through body and the yeah. bridge. I'm super picky about bridges and the way they sit on my wrist. Uh, so this, is, this kind of looks a bit like, if we flip it back over the yeah. other way again, this uh, looks... A little bit like, is it sort of hip shot inspired or goto inspired? Or I know it's a PRS own design one, isn't it? Frankly, it, it was hip shot inspired. Yeah, yeah was it say, was. It's kind of, yeah. Why change to great, it's an absolutely great bridge. I loved that um, bridge for years. And, yeah. you know, I mean, if you if you look at it, it kind of it kind of looks like the um, the the normal trim bridge on a, on a I was going to say, one. it looks like a PRS bridge, doesn't it? Just but without just, the hole. Just without the, without the trim arm and the, yeah. and the springs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a, Story behind the pickups, isn't there? Because yeah. uh, I know you've got friendly with uh, Keith Merrow, um, who is an absolute sweetheart. Yeah, he's great, right? He's got so much time for people that want to yeah. talk pickups and stuff. But this was a was this a collaboration thing with him, it or was. just your own thing? Or? Well, I, I came to him with the idea because he and I have been friends for a long time, and mm -hmm. we've always sort of agreed on tone and, and actually music in general. He's a he's a big death metal guy, and so am I. And look, whenever we talk about tone. It's not, you know, jazz or blues or yeah. prog. It's death metal. <laughs> we talk about <laughs> death metal. Um, so I, I, I brought the idea to him. I was like, let's build a set of pickups together. You know, let's yeah. make something that we both love. So, uh, so he and I uh, shacked up for a couple of days in Santa Barbara where Duncan is based. Mm -hmm. And we prototyped, I think, around 30 sets of pickups over several days. And this and, is what we can. what up makes with. a great, because I always think, you know, is it high output, low output, a certain type of curve on, you know, what, what is it that makes um, a great gain pickup? I would say, I mean, they're high output pickups, but I would say on the spectrum of Seymour Duncan pickups, they're, they're not as high as, as some of their hotter mm -hmm. pickups. 
Um, but uh, for, for me, the number one thing, especially the bridge pickup is the bread and butter, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, I'm really proud of the neck pickup, but the bridge pickup was where I spent 70% of my time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's clarity under gain. Yeah. Because as you can hear, the, the tones that we use are pretty saturated. They're pretty soaking with gain all of the time. So I'm playing a ton of big chords, yeah. and, and the emphasis is on some of these higher voicings in the chords, and I don't want those to get washed out yeah. whatsoever. And so that was a huge focus of our pickup testing and something that I feel like we nailed was yeah. that sort of clarity and the ability to hear every single note in a big chord, even under high yeah. gain settings. I like the fact as well that you, you know, you're using the, the, the coil tap as well. So yeah. you're, you know, you're really trying to get as much out of the guitar as you possibly can. I've got to say, you know, I'm, I think the signature guitar world is full of guitars where the artist has gone, yeah, I just do me this special yeah. color and then that can be my artist's right, guitar. Right, right. And, you know. yeah. I love the fact that you've, you've really, apart from the basic body shape, you've kind of gone, no, I want this to be yeah. exactly. And fair play to PRS as well, because it's quite expensive to retool to make this for you. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, so they've obviously got a lot of faith that you know, yeah. they're going to sell plenty of the guitars. Otherwise, you know, it would have just been a you know, pretty you know, big waste of time. And money. <laughs> the, two, the two things that I wanted to satisfy with the guitar was one, I want it to be 110% what I want it to be, you know, because yeah. to, to have a guitar with your name on it, I, I don't even want to pretend like it's it's yeah. not that cool. It's a dream come true. It's yeah. a freaking childhood dream come true. And I, I wanted to make sure I did it right if we were going to do it. And the second thing I wanted to achieve is I wanted it to be something that PRS hadn't already done. Yeah. Uh, and I think we achieved both of those. It's funny that you mentioned the, the body shape thing, though, because mm. they actually asked me at first, they were like, do you want to change the body shape? I was like, Hell no, I don't want to change the body shape. Yeah. That's the iconic yeah. shape. You can't change the shape. I agree. But I, I know I know certainly in Anderson's, you know, you'll be pleased to know that you are number one in the uh, you know, it you're out it's outselling uh, the Mark Tremonti and the Zach Myers and the Santana and you yeah, know, so awesome. thank a, you. It's a thank very, very you. cool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I know that everybody watching will probably uh, shoot me if we don't delve a little bit into sort of a technique -y kind of yeah. thing. So I'm, I remember when Misha was here, uh, he, he had the weirdest way of holding a plectrum that I've ever seen and a really non-conforming sort of style. Yeah. Your style looks more, you know, what's the right word? normal I suppose <laughs> but you know how do you approach something obviously you have an incredibly sort of you know uh, fast uh, picking technique on some of the stuff yeah. and as you say the, the chords there's some quite complex chords in there as well so is there any kind of tips and stuff that we can kind of share with the guys for how to approach you know some basic technique um i mean the one the one thing that i i guess i'm always harping on and i, and I give lessons in my spare time i do a ton of clinics and uh one thing that I focus on a lot is people stuck in ruts. Mm -hmm. I, I always get people coming up to me and be like, hey, you know, I'm about to put down the guitar, I'm in a rut. And my answer is always, there's a, there's a million ways to get out of the rut. Just don't put down the guitar, don't yeah. stop uh, believing. Uh, 
No. There you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, but I, I've always tried to inject bigger chords into uh, into my playing as opposed to just riffing all the time, which can kind of sound you know predictable. And in a metal context, I'm always trying to inject chords yeah. in places where you wouldn't normally think they'd pop up. Yeah. Uh, so I can give you an example. Yeah, of absolutely. Stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, funnily enough, we, we're the, the one of my, the guys that we shoot video with here. Pete, he's although the, the genre is completely different. Yeah. He's the same. Don't don't play a don't play a normal D chord. Try, just play. Yeah, like, yeah, find a weird D chord. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, it's here's, the way to go. That's that's almost like what I was about to say. Like, if there's ever a spot in the song that calls for like a whatever an open C, and the context is is such that you can get dissonant with it. You know, you could do, or you can go and take it a step further. There's another step. And what dirty. would that have sounded like if you'd have just used a traditional shape for the, for that chord? Just like, like the like every just yeah. like every other band, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas when you do what you do, you give it that kind of periphery or that sort of Mark Holcomb kind of yeah. It's it's coloring, twist, isn't it? It's coloring very commonly used chords. You know, I mean, everybody uses, it. but if you can spare the energy and if all it takes is just a couple extra fingers. Same goes up, up and down the fretboard. You know, I mean, I've been doing this for years. So instead of doing chord like that, that sounds way better. Than I mean. Depending on the context, yeah, because there's sometimes this is awesome, but so it's allows you to color things depending on what the song needs. I think it sounds great. I really do. And and as well, just to mention, we had four Mark Holcomb SE guitars shipped down uh, so that I don't know, maybe get you to sign some, take some to the clinic, whatever. Mark took this out the box. Yeah. Tuned it up. That's the, this. This isn't like your. No. And and it, and again, going back to a, 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 some time I spent with Paul earlier this year, he said that's the aim with the SE range. Yeah. Said, you should just For be sure. able to take it out of the box, yeah. give it to a professional guitar player, and go and him go. Right, let's do the gig. Yeah. Um, I, I love doing that. Actually, every clinic that I do, I ask the stores to have one because I love to play it during a clinic. And there was actually a show. I think it was in Texas. Uh, a couple months ago, a fan brought his mm -hmm. his, his Mark Holcomb model to the show, and he was like, "Will you play it?" And I was like, "Sure." So I played his his model on on stage and smashed it, it up, gave it back to him. I did. I was <laughs> like, "Here you go. I'll teach you not to do that next time." And I threw it in his face, and spit on him. Just kidding. Half kidding. Oh man! Well, look. <laughs> Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you over to Anderson's. My and, pleasure. You know, I'm really looking forward to the clinic tonight. There's a there's a hundred people coming to the clinic. I'm sorry if you're watching and you didn't manage to get a ticket, but you know, go to the next one. Um, there will be a next one. Don't see Periphery live, whatever. Um, but yeah, this is thank you again to 
uh, PRS and Paul and Jez and everybody for putting this together and my free T-shirt. Um, my and, free T-shirt. Yeah. My free T-shirt. <laughs> and, and for anybody, yeah, for all you guys that have watched this, go and just check this guitar out. It's called the um, Mark Holcomb uh, SE PRS. It's, uh, I can't remember how much it is. That's rubbish of me, isn't it? It's something around about 800 pounds in the UK. Um, it's just fantastic. It's just a really, really nice guitar in a cool color. What do you call I, the color? Uh, PRS has been calling it Holcomb Burst, but I'm trying to think of like that, something a little bit more. Is that the color you think you'd go if you burst? Is that, <laughs> is that um, maybe it is. I don't know. You're asking some very personal questions here. I don't know if I like it. <laughs> I didn't mean. <laughs> well, then on that bombshell. My mom may be watching this. <laughs> well, she would know. I would oh, have thought. If anyone. <laughs> hey, just because I live in Texas doesn't mean we do that kind of thing. <laughs> I think you have a different meaning for burst over there. I just mean as in, you know. Anyway, oh, that's geez. enough. Thanks, man. Oh, thank it's you. It's been man. an absolute pleasure. Oh, Thanks pleasure. for watching. Thank you. See you next time.
Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time. <laughs>